Hi everyone, this is Sasha from Michigan. Grab a pop and settle in for some sinister sightings with our favorite ladies, Donna and Carrie of Paranormal Chicks. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 167. And you just heard Sasha S. And you could totally tell she's from not the South. Because mm-hmm. uh, when she said pop, I was like, what? But, you know, when in Michigan, say pop. That radio voice, though. I know. Y'all, if you want to grab a pop and introduce an episode just like Sasha, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. All right, let's just jump right in. The first one hurricane season hello my beautiful southern queens i hope this email finds you happy and healthy it's your girl jen at the suburban farmer with a little gem of a story that i had not thought about in quite some time i hope you and the listeners enjoy it and find it interesting let's dive in shall we september 2008 galveston texas hurricane ike ripped through the texas coastline resulting in extensive damage flooding and leaving most people without power for three plus weeks I was living in a little apartment on Montrose in Houston and stayed in my little unit to ride out the storm. Hey, I know that. Mm -hmm. I work general construction and a lot of my work begins the moment a disaster hits. My job was to make the 45 minute drive down to Galveston and survey building damage and mobilize materials for repair. 25 minutes before I hit Galveston, I stopped at the first police checkpoint. The freeway was covered in yachts and boats that had been washed inland by miles. Dead farm animals and fish, debris and bodies. The police were bringing out bodies double stacked in bags to hide the death toll from the media. And I was warned not to take any photos or video. The police let me through the checkpoint and I was now on my way to the island. My first stop was two nursing homes, one at each end of the island. We had evacuated a lot of the residents prior to the storm, but unfortunately, there was still mass loss. The whole island was out of power, and everywhere you walked, you were traipsing through filth and dead things. We unloaded generators at the first nursing home to give some lighting to walk through the building. We were looking for, God forbid, anyone who tried to ride out the storm in the building. Trespassers, injured animals, and anything dead. We had a dumpster dropped outside to get to work, clearing out the place. I gave directions to my foreman and my crew and took off towards another property to check the damage. When I returned to the nursing home, my foreman told me that someone was in the building. I asked him why he thought that, and here's what he said. Boss, something is messed up here. The generators are on to give us light, but there are other things in this building, like nurse call alarms, fire alarms, and lights that keep going crazy. Like, there's no power to any of these things, but they keep going off. One of my guys said that someone keeps sneaking up behind him while he's cleaning up and working and taking his hand tools, but it's only our crew here. I thought that maybe the sheer chaos of the post-storm environment was getting to him. I just listened. He explained that things that should have no power were making noise and going off. Some of the medical equipment devices, even lights in the building. Again, none of this stuff had any power hooked up. The entire island was cut off. I stayed with that crew the rest of the day, closed out about five, and got ready to head out until the next day. As we were getting ready to leave, I heard what sounded like the dinner bell that was played over the loudspeaker, like the residents were being informed that their dinner was about to be served. Again, no electricity. My foreman just looked at me. I told him not to worry, and we left. The next day, half of his crew refused to return. 
I had to add in more manpower from a secondary crew to stay on track. At the end of the second day, the new crew members had very similar stories of what the first crew had experienced. Except two people in the second crew saw a man in the building, walking around, looking in all the rooms, walking around the nurse's station, and so forth. When they would call out to him, the man would keep walking out of sight and then vanish. There was serious concern that this may be someone who was trespassing or lost or who knows. This man kept his distance but was seen almost daily. The project took longer to finish than any on the island. Constant delays, weird happenings, manpower refusing to return, creepy feelings, and so forth. Once the project was completed, we opened the building back up like business as usual, but weird things kept happening. Residents did not like the building. Many said they were uncomfortable there. Most of the staff felt the same way. You always just had the feeling of something is not right and the occasional weird unexplained thing that would happen. In August of 2017, Hurricane Harvey hit. The storm was much bigger with lots more water and subsequent leveled this particular nursing home. Again, casualties. Again, a building full of dead fish, farm animals, and trash. This time, it was not my project. I thought about the contractors who would end up doing this job and it brought back many memories. I'm sure whatever my team and I experienced is still there. Galveston is known to be packed with ghosts, but I didn't expect to have this type of experience. It was interesting to say the least. Keep it up, my beautiful Southern Queens, and may happiness and health find you and each and every creepster. Until next time, ladies, creep it real and don't get scared, Jen. Oh my gosh. The stuff you don't think about with like hurricane cleanup stuff you know yeah a lot of nursing homes are haunted that there's a lot of death that occurs in there and it's Mm -hmm. just like even if it's just like residual stuff or whatever you know it's like there's a lot that happens in those nursing homes we've gotten sinister sightings from them before Mm -hmm. i love stories like that anything like hospital nursing homes stuff like that some of my favorites i was about to say this is right up your alley do you know that that's a really hard word to spell i always have to get like when i'm saying like ally and alley fucks me up that is the word that you have a hard time but you can spell all these other big words yeah i'm like okay which one am i and which one do i avoid (laughs) like you know i'm an ally but like i ain't trying to walk in a dark alley at night yeah well i avoid nursing homes so you really do Mm-hmm. All right, the next one. A little true crime, a little spoopiness. Hey, ladies, longtime listener, first time storyteller. First, I need to tell you how much I love listening to the two of you. My job is very boring and repetitive, and you've gotten me through some pretty rough shifts. Your stories and your banter keep me smiling. It's like I get to bring two of my friends with me to work every day. I have lots of stories to share, so I'll be sure to send them more when I get the chance. I was reminded of a couple today, so I'll send those in for now. My first story is a true crime that happened to a close friend of mine. I won't use her real name, so let's call her Carly. Carly had recently broken up with a boyfriend at the time, and with limited income and a short amount of time to find a place to live, she and her two kids moved into an apartment complex in a rough part of town. She wasn't keen on moving in there, but she was happy to start a new chapter of her life. Her new neighbors had kids around the same age as Carly's, so she would sometimes sit outside and talk with the neighbor kid's mother while the kids played. She was starting to feel comfortable in her new home and was happy to be making new friends. One morning, Carly woke up to a note beside her head. She found this odd because her kids were gone to their dad's house for the weekend. She thought maybe one of them had left the note for her before they left. Yeah, not so lucky. She opened the note. Dear Carly, 
I've been watching you outside and I think you're really pretty. A pretty girl like you should not be alone. I'm already in a relationship, but I was wondering if you wanted to have sex sometime. <gasps> Let me know. There is way more to it, but I don't remember the details. It was basically complimenting her eyes, hair, etc. There is no signature on the note. Who the hell left this beside her head? She called the police and searched her apartment to make sure the person wasn't still in there. Police discovered the person had crawled up the side of the building and came in through her balcony. She lived on the second floor. They took the note for DNA testing and told Carly they'd let her know if anything came back. A few days later, she gets a call from the police station. Unfortunately, they did not find a match for the fingerprints, but they had found some semen on the letter. <gasps> Carly was mortified. They didn't have any more information for her. She decided to move out and left town to move back in with her mother. A couple of years go by and Carly receives another phone call from the police station. The person who wrote the letter had committed another crime and his fingerprints were added to their database. They told her it was her neighbor's husband who had wrote the note to her. She was so disgusted, but really happy to know who had done it. She had never talked to this man aside from saying hello in the hallway. Violated doesn't even begin to describe how she felt. The kicker, when questioned about the break-in and whether he admitted to writing the letter, he replied, she got my letter? Did she like it? With a grin on his face. That's fucking disgusting. Ugh. Thankfully, he needed to do jail time. A few weeks after he was in jail, however, he died by suicide <gasps> in his cell. My second story is pretty short. For as long as I can remember, I have always been sensitive to spirit. Unlike most people who are sensitive, I do not like this gift. It creeps me out and I try and block it out as much as possible. One day, when I was about 11 or so, I was doing the dishes in our kitchen. I could hear humming, but I didn't think too much of it, as I have a big family and there was always someone in the house. As I started to dry the dishes, the humming seemed to be getting louder. My brother's bedroom and my youngest sister's bedroom were right off the kitchen, so I decided to check their rooms to see if they were inside playing. As I was walking out of my brother's room, I saw a figure out of the corner of my eye, and I whipped my head around. A little girl with scraggly blonde hair and a white dress was crouched down beside the stairs leading to my basement. I knew immediately that she was not alive and I went into panic mode. I closed my eyes and started yelling, get out of my house, get out, I don't want you here. My stepmom heard me yelling and came out of her bedroom. As I opened my eyes, I saw the little girl run past me. I turned to see where she went, but she was gone. My stepmom then looked over at me face pale. Did you see her too? My last story today happened when I was about 14. I'm the oldest of seven children and our house wasn't the biggest. Because of this limited space, my parents converted half the basement into two small bedrooms and a living room for my sister and I. She and I were close, but as sisters do, we had our fair share of petty arguments. One night, my sister was having a sleepover with her friends. She wanted to have the basement to herself, but there wasn't really anywhere for me to go. I'm only a year older than my sister, and I didn't feel like being left out. She and her friends made it a point of passive-aggressively letting me know I was not welcomed at their slumber party. Eventually, I moved my things upstairs so I could sleep on the floor of my little sister's room. 
Later that night, my sister came up to ask if she could borrow my Ouija board. I reluctantly agreed, and as I did, an idea popped into my head. Around 11 p.m., I could hear the girls shuffling around and discussing how they were going to use the board and who they were hoping to contact. I snuck downstairs and watched them sit themselves in a circle as my sister explained to them how the board works. Once she was confident they knew the rules, they all placed their fingers on the planchette and my sister began asking the board questions. Is anyone there? Are there any spirits present who would like to communicate with us tonight? The planchette started to move. If you're real, please give us a sign. Bam! The lights went out and everything was pitch black. The girls started screaming and a few ran up the stairs. Meanwhile, I'm hiding in the unfinished part of the basement, trying not to laugh because I had turned the breaker off. They still don't know it was me to this day, and I still laugh about it when my sister brings up this story about the time the lights went out when she was playing with the Ouija board. She hasn't touched a board since, by the way. I hope you both enjoyed these. Like I mentioned, I've got a lot more stories, and we'll be sure to send them in when I get a chance. Creep it real, and don't get scared, Tasha. Tasha, you wrong for that. <laughs> it's funny. Terrible, but hey. funny. Don't make her sleep on the floor of her other sister's bedroom. Uh, yeah, don't be a mean sister. No. I mean, we all were, but. Not me. <laughs> if y'all could see my face. <laughs> Look, I'd be like, y'all do whatever the fuck you want, but I am staying right here in my bed. So. Yeah, I'm not giving. Well, okay. Like if it was like one of my friends, like if I was having a sleepover, okay, give up your bed. But like. Your friends, your sister's having the one that friends ever. Like, you should be uh-huh. able to sleep in your own damn bed. Yes, they have to go make pallets on the finished basement, like that living room area. Mm-hmm. Especially if they're not going to let you play with them. Uh-huh. Um, also, slightly recovered memory from the letter uh, thing has nothing to do with anything like that other than the fact that it's a, a note left because, you know, she thought it was from her kids. Back in the day, before text messaging and cell phones and all of that, what we used to do is um, write letters to each other on whatever. Like, make sure you do this before you come to bed or whatever. Like, if you like, if I was gone and my mom wanted to leave me a note to do something or whatever. Of course, remember, you'd write on anything. A mail. Yeah. Sometimes it would be on a sticky A mail. Note. But, like, most of the time it was, like, literally a piece of mail. Yeah. And we put it on our bar stool and, like, put it in the walkway. So yeah. you'd see it, like, this bar stool is blocking your walkway. Here's a letter. Make sure you see it. Yeah. That's so funny. It was like, hey, yeah, we used to do that. Yeah. <laughs> now you just send a text message. But back then, I mean, your mail was your notepads. Yes. So many times my mom had wrote shit on the back of my mail. Like, not to me, but like just like a Pay grocery list yeah. or whatever. And so I wouldn't look and see what it was because I figured, oh, she did it to like, like the here's a free credit card. You're pre-approved. Yeah. That kind of thing. And one time it was a, a check from, a thing because, you know, my old company mailed checks for a long time. Uh, and I was like, Mom, I threw this away. Like, watch what you're doing. Oh, she was like, Patty. well, I just grabbed a thing. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, we're not going to have money to pay for those, that cheese, crackers, ice pops. She could eat those things. Yes, she did. I will say she always had like a piece of mail in her purse mm-hmm. or like some kind of like torn, like ripped piece of paper. I I don't know what she did. I mean, she did steal a lot from other things. She'd buy like, oh, this is a good piece of paper. Let me just rip. 
But one time uh, we were in her truck and it broke down because, you know. <laughs> yeah, I remember this. I think I came and got y'all. Yes. But she <laughs> wrote in pen and like she had to like do it multiple times like because we didn't have a marker or anything. Yeah. So she just like put broke down, do not tow. <laughs> but she like all of that was like wrote five times on top of each other. Yeah. But like just on a random piece of paper. <laughs> I was like, damn, that's smart to write that though. <laughs> Broke down. (laughs) Okay, the next one. Y'all, let me set this up. Last Monday and Thursday, my boyfriend has woken me out of a dead sleep wailing. And by wailing, I mean the most mournful cry you've ever heard someone do in their sleep. The first night, I was so sleepy, I forgot to mention it to him. But Thursday night, I finally got him to wake up out of it and ask, what the fuck was he dreaming about? And a few minutes later, he says... I was dreaming that I was in the shower and you came in there and popped me in the nuts. (laughs) (laughs) He has no memory of even telling me that. We were talking about it yesterday and he had no idea what caused it, but he felt like something was going to happen. I called him a banshee jokingly. Now, for the meat and potatoes of why I'm writing. So last night I was laying in bed and my boyfriend was outside in his shop sanding a truck bed. The next thing I know, he's pulling the door open, asking me if I was okay. I looked at him like he had three nuts. Yes, I'm okay. (laughs) Then he asked me what I wanted. I was like, what do you mean what I wanted? He said, when you came outside just now. I told him I hadn't been outside and that I hadn't left the bed or TikTok for that matter since I'd gotten into bed. He said, Heather, I literally saw you and asked you if you were okay, and you turned and went back up the steps and back inside. He said he came right in behind me because he thought something was wrong. I asked him if he was sure it was me and not my daughter. We had both just showered and both had towels on our head, so maybe he confused us in the dark. So he went and asked her, nope, it wasn't her. I then go outside and he demonstrates. You ever notice that word has the word demon in it? Oh, shit. I digress. Anyway, the way he said it happened, he had plenty of light to see, and there was no way he mistook me for my daughter, not to fail to mention he was completely freaked the fuck out. He normally has gray eyes, and there was nothing but pupils. This man can watch any horror movie you give him and not flinch, but the real paranormal freaks him the fuck out, so he wouldn't joke about it. Side note, we do not partake in anything other than sweet tea and way too many snacks. Maybe it was my doppelganger, or maybe just before he came in, which would have been right when I was getting sleepy, I took a trip outside and I astral projected. He completely freaked me out. Now, for all the pleasantries. I adore you two spooky bitches. Y'all had me laughing like Poindexter on Revenge of the Nerds on the way to work and on the way home. Next time, I'll have to tell you about the haunted vibrator at the adult store I used to manage. Hell yeah. Yes, there's video proof too. Love you girls. Stay weird, rude, alive, and spooky, Heather. Oh my gosh. What the fuck? That was, what? Like he saw you. Yeah, that is so freaking creepy. I wonder what it was. I don't know. But something going on. But not me uh, preoccupied thinking about the haunted vibrator, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> she said nothing but sweet tea and snacks. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you just describe me? Um, I haven't had anything carbonated in a long time. I am on this Fresca kick because of Creep Mom and Morgan. And it's like the sparkling soda kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I've had like so much 
um, like I've been burping a lot all the time. And I'm like, good God, how do people do it? Like you burp all the time, but it like hurts my chest when I burp. What the hell does this have to do with anything? Because of sweet tea. Oh. Like, because I, was, I like, was just thinking. Where did this come from? Because I, I was thinking, well, sweet tea and water. And I was like, yeah, because I just, <laughs> you know, my brain always goes back to me. And also, whenever something happens to me, I always relate it back to Carrie. What do you mean? Oh, yeah, the burp. Oh, my God. Sorry. Okay. But moving on from this ridiculousness that I'm talking about to... This is the title of the thing. Some Ridiculous True Crime. Hello, Donna and Carrie. I just recently discovered your podcast, and like everyone before me, I'm hooked. I could go on and on singing your praises, but other listeners have done the job for me, so I'll just say I've enjoyed listening to your stories and have one ridiculous true crime story for you. I'm changing everyone's name, including my own, just for the fun of it. My mother-in-law worked as a bank teller for many years in various small towns in North Carolina. Early in my relationship with my husband, I asked if she'd ever been held up, and she said yes three times. She ended up being held up a fourth time before she retired. That fourth time, though, was a doozy. Picture it, a small North Carolina town at the foot of the mountains. Not a whole lot going on unless you want to work at a chicken processing plant. No thanks. In this particular area, if you get off the main highway that passes by, it's not that easy to get back onto it. As in, there's an off-ramp, but the on-ramp isn't right there, easy to find. My mother-in-law, well, we'll call her Bobby Sue. She is a very friendly person, and working at a bank and being active in the community, she knows a lot of people, and they know her. Her particular branch was located near the parking lot of the one grocery store in town, which had another bank's freestanding ATM in the parking lot, easily inside of Bobby Sue's bank. This will be important in a bit. Her bank is very close to the police station. My mother-in-law was working one day and noticed a man come into the bank in a wig and I believe some sunglasses. He approached her and handed over a note that said, give me $14,000. I have a gun and I will use it if I have to. She took the note as per her training to have it as evidence and said that she didn't have that much in her drawer and would have to go into the vault. Around that time, the teller supervisor, Matilda, walked past and my mother-in-law told her that she needed to go into the vault. That woman looked at her and said, Bobby Sue, you know you need to do a vault request for that. Bobby Sue gave her a hard look right back and said, no, we don't. At this point, Matilda looked, saw the guy with the wig, saw the note and said, okay, we can do that. So they gave the dude his money, pressed the magic button behind the counter and announced to everyone that they'd been robbed. Now, you may have noticed that $14,000 is kind of a small take for a bank robbery and you'd be correct. You also may have noticed that it's unusual to request a specific amount of money like that. And again, you'd be correct. Bobby Sue's branch location being so close to the police station meant that the police showed up, weapons drawn, and ready to party in just a couple of minutes. As they were surrounding the building, a woman walked right up to them from the grocery store parking lot, like I mentioned earlier. She walked up to them and said, I don't know what's going on here, but I was using the ATM over there and saw a man come out of the bank, take off a wig, and get into the back of a car. Here's the make and model and the license plate. Damn. <laughs> Why do you take off the wig when you get outside? <laughs> so remember how I said it's not so easy to get back to the one highway that goes through that area? These ding-dongs got lost along the way. <gasps> 
When the APB went out about the robbery and gave the details about the car, they were still sitting in traffic waiting to get back on the highway. And there just happened to be a police car, one or two cars behind them. The policeman pulled them over, approached the vehicle, and asked them about the large bag of cash they had. No joke, their response was, Oh, that? We didn't rob a bank. That's drug money. Oh, my God. Like I said, ridiculous. When the full story came out, it turned out that these idiots had driven around town all morning. They had asked a gas station and a restaurant, both places where Bobby Sue knows everyone, where the nearest bank was. Everyone directed them to her bank. It also turns out that these guys were wanted for another robbery in another county. That note he passed her about having a gun, it escalated the crime to a higher charge because he threatened deadly violence. Such idiots. Thankfully, no one was injured and my mother-in-law retired before she could tempt fate anymore. Okay, that's all I've got for you. May your friends and neighbors never send bank robbers your way. Creep it real, you lovely people, Bridget. Your mother-in-law is badass. Right? I, I don't know if I could ever do that. Like, I would freak the fuck out. Speaking of chicken farms, um... <laughs> Yeah. Well, they said it. No, I know. I met this guy that his job is to like go around the state and look at all the chicken farms, way they dispose of like the chickens who have died. Because people do that, like, they don't follow the rules. And it's like, Mm -hmm. that's really dangerous. Like, it can get in, like, water systems and all of that. And it's like, man, they're really, I know I said this, like, on the last episode, but there really is a job for everything. Right. Isn't that crazy? Like, I was like, that's really cool. Yeah. And also, bust these people for not doing, like, the practices that they should do because that's affecting us. But also, I was like, damn, there really is a job for everything that you don't learn. Yeah, for real. Also, I feel like Carrie just learned that the water source could be contaminated. Wow. <laughs> just how you said it. Because not everyone properly disposes, and that can contaminate the water system. <laughs> <sighs> yes, pollution, Carrie. <laughs> I, I just loved how you said it. Okay, the next one. Hello, ladies. I've been binging your episodes out of order because I like living on the wild side. <laughs> I love your banter. You two really do keep it real. And like many others have expressed, I feel like I'm hanging out with you while I'm listening. Every time I hear a real good story, so basically like each one I listen to, I tend to gasp or say stuff out loud like, oh damn, I know that's right. Fucking dumbass, what's wrong with people? And my fave, (laughs) nope. (laughs) So my stories are not as out there as many others, but felt they would still be a tad interesting. I tend to have random bursts of sleep paralysis. They feel real and are scary when they're happening. And I have three for you to start with. When I used to live with my parents, I remember waking up in my bed and I could not move. I looked over at the entrance of my room and I see my mother walks in with a basket of clothes. She starts talking, but I can't remember what she was saying. But as she walked over to me, she dropped the basket of clothing and began to turn into a scary, haggard old woman, and the light in my room drained out. The old woman, or thing, got close enough that I could feel that presence of something inches away from my face. I tried moving and screaming, but of course I couldn't. I then immediately woke up, and of course nothing was there. I turned on my lights and tried to go back to sleep. In the apartment I live in now, I experienced two more episodes that have lingered with me. The first one, I again woke up and could not move. I was able to turn my head just enough to look over at my closet. 
Mind you, I sleep on the side of the bed that is directly next to the closet, and the door was closed. I thought that was weird because we usually leave the door open. Immediately after, something walked out of the closet. It was a white figure, not a friendly spirit. This thing quickly walked over to me and began to crawl on top of me. I could not move. I could not speak or scream, even though I tried, but nothing would come out. I could not even open my mouth. Thankfully, I was able to wake up. I looked over at my closet and the door was open as usual. I got up, turned the light on in the closet to make sure nothing was there. Then turned the light off and closed the door. I grabbed a backpack and put it in front of the door like that would keep anything from coming out. Then I turned on my soothing salt lamp. It's pink and I can control how bright to make it. I also have two cats and a dog. So I grabbed my dog to sleep next to me and tried to put my cats near me as well. The next memorable experience was a short episode of sleep paralysis. It started the same way. Woke up, couldn't move, couldn't talk, but this time I felt pressure on my chest. Nothing terrible, but definitely some sort of pressure. I usually don't feel anything, so I started thinking that I need to try to move and scream so I could wake up and stop whatever was about to happen. Like lucid dreaming, you know? Also, it was the weekend, so I knew my husband should be home. At that point, I felt that something was close to me. I can't see anything, but I knew and felt something was in front of me. I felt like something started to gently poke my left nipple. What the fuck? Like nothing sexual, but still scared the crap out of me. My heart started beating so fast. I started to try to move my whole body to stop this. I remember thinking and asking whatever it was to stop poking me since I couldn't talk. Then the poking stopped and I could feel that I was about to wake up. But just before waking up, I hear something say directly in my left ear, find them, kill them. No fucking joke. I can hear that voice now and oh, chills. I woke up, my heart still beating hard. My husband was playing on his computer right outside the room. I asked him, did you hear me screaming? He said, well, I guess you were moaning or something. I was still feeling scared so angrily. I told him, wake me up next time. Again, nothing crazy has happened to me, but I hope you enjoyed reading about my experiences. Sleep paralysis is definitely a real thing, real enough that there have been studies on it, and even notice that people may even experience similar things. After the last experience I had, something something talking to me, I went to Dr. Google to see if there was anything I could do to stop these things. One opinion I remember reading was that, scientifically speaking, sleep paralysis happens when you're tired or stressed, and studies have found it usually happens when you're sleeping on your back. I do believe in science, but I also believe that paranormal things are real and happen for a reason. My reasoning, I tend to be stressed when episodes happen to me. Maybe negative things slash spirits, whatever you want to call it, are drawn to that. I now sleep on my stomach and, so far, have not had any episodes. I also try to be more mindful and envisioning protective white light around me before going to bed, especially if I'm feeling stressed or off. So if you ever experience sleep paralysis, try sleeping on your stomach. If that doesn't work, it's time to sage your space. I do have some other stories that my family has experienced and would love to share them with you another time. Happy dreaming, creep it real, and don't get scared. Uh, Can I just say that I love that you said Dr. Google? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, see, I'm glad I sleep on my stomach because that might be why I have never had sleep paralysis because I don't want that. That's freaking terrifying. Okay, the next one, my dad. Hi, ladies. First off, I absolutely love your podcast and the way y'all interact with each other. Whenever my friend and I get Chipotle for dinner, we will sit in the parking lot and listen to your podcast for hours. 
Our Chipotle also happens to share a parking lot with our city's main LA fitness. And I can't even tell you the amount of times a hot beefcake of a man has seen me spit out my food while laughing my ass off to your podcast. Anyways, let me give you a bit of the backstory before jumping in. My dad is arguably one of the most interesting people I've ever met. For example, in his 51 years of life, he was in the Army for 27 years, two of those years being an Army police officer, owned a rocking chair company, worked as a realtor, acted in some movies and TV shows, taught as a professor at USC, worked at a bank, worked at a mortuary, owns a service or a business for disabled vets, modeled for Macy's, was a newspaper boy, worked as an x-ray lab assistant, was a mental health technician, and currently is a manager at Amazon, which my mom doesn't approve of since she has a deep disliking for Bezos. Jesus, jack of all trades. Right? Do you know that we say that wrong? Because, like, it's usually meant to be, like, a negative, like, jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none, but that's not the full saying. It's, like, jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none, but, like, basically better than not knowing anything. Oh. But it's really, a jack-of-all-trades is a master-of-none, but oftentimes better than a master-of-one. So, it actually means it's a good thing. But we say it like it's bad, but it's really good. Yeah. Sorry, my tangent. Okay. (laughs) So, go dad. (laughs) <laughs> i never really thought it was a negative thing though but yeah because they're saying like jack of all trades but you can't like you hit master one thing is kind of how it's morphed into oh well i would just always thought like yeah like jack of all trades master of none like as a like a jab to yourself but like yeah you can do all this shit right that's what it actually means so i was right this whole time you just didn't know it well i knew i was right you know oh jesus christ let's move on okay <laughs> <laughs> Back to her dad. I'll let you take a breath after that. Thank you. So, granted, he has some pretty whack stories. He also decides to randomly tell me these every once in a blue moon, and it always makes me understand a bit better as to why he's such a unique individual. That's the nicest way to put it. I'm going to make these stories super short because there's quite a bit of them. The first story takes place when he was in his very early 20s and in the army. He was on deployment in another country when chaos broke out in a crowd. My dad wasn't sure what was happening, but he realized the chaos was tons of screams and cries from people in town who seemed terrified of whatever was happening. His commanding officer ushered him over and told him what had happened. He told my dad to run down the hill behind them and retrieve the thing that was making the crowd so horrified. My dad obeyed and ran down to grab whatever this thing was and get ready. It was a head, a literal human head. What? My dad had to pick up the head and bring it back up the hill to the crime scene. Now, I know this isn't funny because a man was literally decapitated. Why? I don't remember. But my dad sucks balls at taking things seriously. So this dumbass went back up to the corpse and placed the head back on the body. Oh, my God. When he did this, the crying, screaming crowd calmed down instantly. And to make things worse, my dad's goofy, hysterical ass decided to bust out laughing. He said the way the crowd all seemed better when the head was back on the body, as if homeboy wasn't still sitting there decapitated, sent him over the edge. And I know this man like the back of my hand. And one of his most popular dad jokes was the, oops, got your nose. So I bet he made sure he didn't pull a, oops, got your head when it happened. He didn't. Or so he says. Oh my gosh. (laughs) What? I said, that's hilarious. That wasn't words that you just said. (laughs) Oops, got your nose. Oops, got your head. (laughs) 
Because he did. Oh, my God. <laughs> God. Okay. Ooh, I love a dad joke. Okay. This second story takes place when he was a teen working at the mortuary. He didn't work with the bodies themselves, but he was in charge of cleaning up the work areas. He grabbed a broom from the closet and began to sweep the floor. Mind you, the body of an old woman was still out and laying next to him as he cleaned. My poor dad was minding his damn business when the dead body sat up, turned her head towards my dad, and made sort of a strained scream. He was so stunned that he froze and peed right there on the floor before running out, broom still in hand. The man who was working on the body ran to check on him, but he was dying laughing as he tried to calm my dad down. I forgot the exact word for it, so if one of y'all know, please let me know. But he told me that sometimes the bodies still have working nerves in them right after they pass and can make sudden movements or noises. Now, my dad is not the brightest. I say that with love, but he's no dumbass horror movie character, so I'm pretty sure he never stepped foot in there again. (laughs) Oh my god! It, like, sat up? It sat up and looked at him and then, like, did the thing. Yeah. I've heard them, like... Making a noise or something, or even like, yeah, like moving a finger, like something maybe, but not sitting up, turning the. Oh my God. (laughs) This man who was working on that body did not know what he was talking about. That's a zombie, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The third and final story for this email is not necessarily about my dad himself, but the house he grew up in. My dad, his brother, and two sisters always had a weird feeling about the house. There weren't too many signs of paranormal activity, but the most common occurrence was the doors in the house all opening by themselves. Eventually, his parents agreed that it was a bit strange, so they asked someone about the house's history, a neighbor, I'm pretty sure. They told my dad and his family that before they moved in, a young boy was shot to death by his own brother in the house. They said it was not purposeful, and he accidentally fired through his brother's door and hit him. But the situation seemed a little sus to me. Anyways, it was rumored that the deceased boy was buried below the basement. This made things ten times creepier. They never got a definitive answer as to if the being buried in the basement part is true, but I don't deny it because of the crazy weird vibes the house gave off and the weird details of the boy's non-intentional murder. I'll probably write in again soon, but that's it for now. My fingers are lazy. There's more stories about my dad, like when the time he got lost at sea all alone when he was eight. The time he found an active bomb on an island he grew up in. The time his neighbors found a soldier in the forest who'd never left his post from the war that took place 20 years prior because no one told him it ended, (gasps) and many others. I also have true crime and paranormal stories myself, like the time I saw a janitor ghost called a ghost on camera, used a Ouija board, went to Salem, Mass. for Halloween, and had a couple of ghost encounters, walked straight into a shooting at my school, and a haunted shirt, etc. My mom also has crazy stories from being a counselor at a prison and working at an insane asylum, along with my sister, who has had a couple of paranormal and stalker incidents. Sorry that I've written so much. My family just seems to attract crazy shit. Let me know what y'all want me to send in next, and I'll try to do it soon. I'm still in high school, so I'm up to my head in homework, but trust me when I say I'd rather be writing up my weird stories than learning about fucking mitochondria or the Pythagorean 
theorem or some shit that won't be useful in five years from now. I love you ladies and I hope all is well and positive in your lives at the moment. Creep it real and don't get too scared. Hannah from California. Well, we do know that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. <laughs> yeah, we do. You don't know how to do your taxes, but you'll know that. <laughs> your dad has lived like, who is he, Forrest Gump? I was going to, like, literally I was going to say <laughs> fucking Indiana Jones over there. <laughs> Oh, my God. What about the guy who hadn't left his post in 20 years? What the fuck? I mean, can somebody send him a note or something? <laughs> but no semen on it like that last person. That's disgusting. I could have gone a lifetime without bringing that back up. Oh, God. Wow, your dad has lived a life. Y'all all have. Y'all all have stories. Your whole freaking family like, has stories. Your mom was like, oh, that's cute. Hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Well, you know what? We want you to write in all of them. So you just put all of your stuff in a bowl and then just pick out three at a time and just send us those emails. Okay, the next one. Cult in Mississippi. Ooh. Hey, ladies. I know you guys talk about cults all the time. I find it fascinating that there are people out there that can actually let themselves believe in the craziest things. Then again, I have cult followers in my family. Let me give you some of my backstory. My mom and dad were both married before they married each other. My mom had two boys and my dad had three girls and one boy. My mom's divorce was basically amicable and her kids stayed with her and her ex moved to Florida. My dad was not so lucky. His ex-wife was from Ohio. He met her when they were both in the Marines. They divorced and the kids went with her, of course. Back in the 70s, it was unheard of of children being placed with their father, no matter how unstable the mother was. And ladies, this bitch was the picture of an unbalanced woman. Well, she found a man that was trying to get members for his own religion, and she took her kids with her. At the time, she lived in Baxterville, and that was my dad's weekend to take his four kids. He walks up to the door and looks through the screen door and sees all the kids around the kitchen table. His ex-wife walks up and shoots him through the door a few times. My dad ran and managed to get to his car and drive himself to a gas station where they got him to the hospital. My dad spent three months in the ICU. My mom tells me at the time, she and my dad were the only people that truly believed he was going to live. Thankfully, he did or I wouldn't be here. During this time, his ex spent one night in jail. This was back in the 70s where supposedly women did not do anything violent. She told her kids when they were old enough to understand that the reasoning behind it was that David Earl told her dad was the devil and she should kill him. Turns out she was balls deep in this church and no one realized it because she was in Bassfield at the time and the name David Earl King meant nothing to no one. I don't know if you ladies were old enough to see the women slash girls that sold peanut brittle around Hattiesburg and other cities, but David Earl King or his male members would drop the girls off, girls as young as age three, with baskets of homemade peanut brittle, and they knew they could not rest or go home until it was all sold. A lot of people in his compound in Bassfield did not have running water or electricity, and this dick was rolling in the dough thanks to the ladies and the peanut brittle. None of the members were allowed to go to a doctor. Two out of three of my sisters were given to David Earl's sons. They had five kids each all at home. The youngest of my sisters almost died having her last child. The day after that birth, David Earl had a heart attack, and guess what? He went into the hospital. So my sister said, no more, and in the middle of the night, she left. No money, no place to live, nothing. My oldest sister left right after with the help from a woman that 
saw her on the street peddling her peanut brittle and she slowly got my sister to see what was going on and what was wrong and that woman helped her to leave my other sister was the last to leave she talked to her sorry she talked her husband into leaving with her but he did not last long that man could not understand how the real world worked and went back to his father's compound here's the worst part david earl king was a pedophile my brother slept in this man's bed since he was about nine years old my sisters told me stories of other kids coming forward about him, but their parents were paid off. And one kid's parents, who could not be paid off, just up and disappeared. I have no idea if these stories were true or made up, but I have a feeling a lot of it is true. Anyway, this man got arrested several times, but none of the charges ever stuck. They finally got him on tax evasion, and then some of the boys came forward. He was given several years for tax evasion and a few months for child abuse. At this time, my brother, who was grown up by now, but so under this disaster of human beings' power, he turned himself in, saying he helped David Earl with a tax evasion and took the police around the compound and led them to over $1 million. So he was put in jail with David Earl like he wanted. He was up for parole a few times, and every time he would do something so they wouldn't grant it to him. Thankfully, David Earl King died in jail, and so the next time my brother was put up for parole, it was granted. My sisters have never been, quote, normal to me. We do not know each other very well, but they are functioning members of society. My eldest sister received a degree in something dealing with computers and moved her five kids to South, where she works on a big military base there. My youngest sister is now a doctor. I don't know where she lives. She's really strange and never really connected with any of us. She mostly immersed herself in her schooling and her own kids. She built several houses for Habitat for Humanity, and she's one of those people who will not sit still. Lastly, my middle sister lived with a woman that saved her life for a while until she was able to buy a small place of her own. She goes to this woman's church and is still there today. That church is not as bad as a cult. We talk every now and then. She mostly calls my mom every other month. After my mom filled her in on all the things she and my dad tried to do to get them out of the cult, including receipts for child support that her mom told her my dad never paid. She has respect for my mom. My dad died about six years ago, and that's the last time I saw all of them. I'm happy for them all. No matter how weird they are, they have found a way to navigate society. They have told me some horror stories that went on in that compound. I've told them that they need to write a book, but they're content living their lives and forgetting all that garbage. My brother, who was married to David Earl King's eldest daughter, 20 years his junior, went back to their home. He has no contact with my sisters and certainly not with me. Would not know him if he passed me on the street. He changed his name a long time ago to something King. All we can do is pray for that ignorant soul or send him good vibes. Poor, poor soul, David Earl King is all he ever knew. My dad was there at his court date hoping to connect with him, but he completely ignored him. You could actually search the news station's coverage backlogs on this case and see my dad standing off to the side as they bring his son into the courtroom. Dad is waving to him, saying hello, but he just keeps walking, acting as though he cannot see him. He truly believes David Earl King was his father and did everything for him. My sisters tell me that any time they tried to talk to him about dad or his other family, he would shut them down quickly and now refuses to even acknowledge them. It does not bother me that I have a brother out there that I never met, but I do feel bad for him. No matter what personal hell all of them went through, they were there together. Anyway, you could drive yourself nuts trying to rationalize it all, but there's no possible way. 
I have a mom and three brothers I see every weekend, sisters I can talk to and do sometimes, and that's good enough for me. This is a very long and twisted story. I have skipped some things to shorten it, but the gist of it is a man named David Earl King, who claimed to be the Messiah, made little girls turn him into a millionaire by peddling homemade peanut brittle, tried to destroy my sisters, did destroy my brother and his mother. Oh, I forgot to add that their mother had an appendix rupture and she went septic because she could not get medical help, was at death's door until me and my sisters in the dead of night drove to the compound, loaded up all her stuff, which mostly consisted of empty butter and Cool Whip bowls and her potted plants and got her to a doctor. She died three months after my dad, which my mom thought was ironic. Anyway, that's just a little snippet of a cult that was in Bassfield, Mississippi. Sorry if it was long. Sorry for my grammar and weird punctuation and run-on sentences. I'm not a literary genius. Thanks for what you do. You two do a wonderful job, and I really enjoy your podcast. Creep it real and don't get scared or believe anybody's bullshit to get tangled up in a stupid redneck cult. Amber. Holy Hannah. I knew about the girls like with the peanut brittle, yeah. but I guess I didn't realize all that it was. Same. My mom loved peanut brittle, so I know she bought some from those girls. Holy Hannah, though. And his name sounds familiar. Yeah, but I don't know. Wow. Wow. Honestly, I thought you were going to talk about one place on the coast or like going to the coast because it was like, it looked almost like a compound, but not. It was like apartment buildings, but they had this weird thing out in front that was like, a waterfall feature mm-hmm. and it had like so, like maybe a bible verse on it or something but it was like i don't know it was very culty yes but i don't know if it's still there so the, i was like oh my god she's gonna talk about no there's another one <laughs> like whoa mind blown you're telling them that they should write a book but whoo like just write it for them yeah my gosh all right the last one for today ouija board First pass at nine years old. Hey, y'all. First off, totally use my name on your show. All good. My name is Haley Hay, and I've been a listener for some time now. Y'all are awesome, kick-ass storytellers, and damn good researchers to boot. I'm from sunny Northern California, San Francisco to be exact, but I'll use y'all because of the whole y'all means all mantra. To my little non-binary heart, that does a whole lot of good. Anyway, I was trying to figure out a story to start with as I've had a lot of ethereal and some true crime stuff happen in my life, but I figured this was a good one. A gold nugget from a kid in a state storied by the gold rush shit. But I digress. I grew up in a house that burned down in the 70s, and I felt every inch of weirdness from the start. I've always been interested in ghosts, spirits, the whole lot. As I had a grandma pass just before I was born, and that grandma was my mom's best friend, as my own mom is mine. So from a young age, I just wanted to talk to her and to other family members that weren't here anymore. I'm not sure why, but I felt like I could still reach out to them, kind of like sending a letter over country lines. It might cost a lot or take some weird figuring out, but it was, to me, possible. Call it a February Pisces sentiment or intuition or fault. Naturally, and unfortunately, I was drawn to Ouija boards. For a kid that needed to know, this $10 thing easily picked up at any department store or Toys R Us seemed like an easy solution. Too easy for me, still, but I was impatient. 
As a kid, we didn't have a whole hell of a lot of money, but we had enough to make the purchase. And my mom, mom, as I call her, that's her name. I don't know. I don't make the rules. Bought the thing. I might have been nine at the time of the purchase and in the time of this story. She knew I had a weird sense for these things and that something was going to come out of it. She wasn't wrong. We set up the board on the top of a floor lamp that had that cone-shaped top. You know the ones, making sure the board was getting all the light so it could charge or for the luminescent shit to take in enough light to stay glow-in-the-dark. There were about five of us there. Myself, my cousin whose name starts with an E, another cousin whose name starts with an S, a friend named Ashley, and my mom mom whose name starts with a D. This will be important later. We put the board upside down on top of the light to make sure it was taking in everything it could in from the bulb in my room and promptly forgot about it to go get some pizza at our local pizza spot. When we came back, we all simultaneously remembered the board and ran to my room in the back of the single-level farmhouse-style house and pulled the board up from the light. This is where it gets weird. We had expected the board to be hot, but it wasn't. However, it was burned by the bulb. It wasn't burned in the center where the bulb was located. It was burned in five places. On the H, the E, the S, and the A. Mostly on the A and the D. And then it was burned a little on goodbye. We packed that board up and didn't touch it again. Save for me unpacking it once two years later at my cousin E's house. It wasn't a warm night that night, but the board was still pretty damn hot. So much love for y'all on this podcast. I'll send in more stories when I can, mostly involving abandoned resort buildings. The whaling room full of weird whaling heirlooms from my family home that caused the whole damn house to be haunted. And my really close brush with being kidnapped as a kid. Also, if I may, shamelessly plug my band. I've got a ghostly song called Ghost Like You, and you can find it anywhere you stream music under the name Forest, like F-O-R-R-E-S-T. But we are now called Great Bitter Lake. Thank y'all so much and the killer work. Much love. Haley, Hill, hey. Okay, now that is just scary as shit. For real. Burned into your names, like your initials, and then goodbye. Yeah, like goodbye. Don't want to touch that. And then you got the board out later and touched it. I mean, it might have been two years later, but I would still remember that. Uh-uh, uh-uh, not happening. Yeah, no, there's, I want no part of that. No, thank you. No Ouija boards for me. Mm-mm. But also yours was glow in the dark. That's cool. Not cool enough to use. <laughs> Thank y'all so much for all the awesome stories. Keep them coming. I mean, they never disappoint. Aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.